0: Odin's Raven! It's crazy, it's
1: crazy, it's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous, okay? I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, with,
2: I'll go. Hello, and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 64. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin?
3: I'm doing alright.
2: Today we have an amazing show lined up for you. Got two interviews. First, we'll be speaking with director Elinka Kalugaranu on her film Chuck Norris vs. Communism, which is our Kickstart Sunday project this week. Then Gina and I had a chance to have a chat with director Terrence Nance on his film An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, which hit theaters this weekend. Of course, we'll also be talking about some of what we've been watching going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's kick things off with our first interview with Alinka Kalugaranu. And talk about her indiegogo project chuck norris versus communism maybe you can tell us a little bit about chuck norris versus communism
4: well chuck Chuck norris versus communism is my first feature documentary um i've been working on it for the past year and a half now um and it's it's a story about the vhs phenomenon in 80s romania and i think it's gonna reveal quite an um, unknown phenomenon to, if you want, a western audience, um, because <sighs> 80s in Romania we were still under the communist regime and uh, things were getting tougher and tougher, I think it was one of the, the hardest and harshest uh, decades of the regime um, amongst many other things uh, TV was reduced to two hours um, and it was just broadca- uh, propaganda broadcast mm. um, films weren't coming in the country anymore. Um, the, the ones that were shown on TV were cut to fit you know, between two news bulletins. Um, the title of the film was removed, the end credits was remo- were removed, so nobody knew what exactly they were watching. So in this environment of huge economic hardship, of censorship, of just a generalized paranoia because everybody was suspected to be a secret police informer, in this kind of context, um, pirated VHS tapes of films from the West were starting to come in. Um, and it just, the phenomenon exploded from just a few VCRs in the country. It, it kept growing and growing, and um, uh, more VCRs appeared, more tapes appeared. And, and at the center of this whole phenomenon, there are two, two the, the, the main characters of our film. So it's Irina. Uh, and she was the one who dubbed all of these films. Uh, she was working day and night, um, sometimes dubbing 10 films in a row. She was, she was dubbing all of them at first sight and she couldn't stop, pause or rewind at any moment because the, the, the dubbing system was very basic. And um, the other character is Zamfir, and he's the guy who masterminded this whole operation. Mm. And he's the one who was bringing in the tapes. He's the one who found Irina and was uh, hired her. Um, so the film kind of revolves around these two characters and the way the phenomenon kind of grew and grew uh, up, up to the 1989 revolution.
2: So the way that she dubs them, she basically just watches the movie and translates... Everything that's said in the Yeah, movie, right? she
0: goes. <laughs>
2: that, <that's, laughs> oh my goodness. And It's <laughs> pure insanity. And she's done over 5,000 of these? Yeah,
4: yeah, she, she, she has. Well, because as I said, sometimes she would do 10, 10 films in a row. So she was very, very productive and a fast worker. And she even had a um, very thick dictionary. English dictionary on, on the desk and sometimes if she got the time she would quickly wrestle through it to find some words and you can hear it on the, on the tapes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> oh, and you can also amazing. hear you know, you can hear when she had the cold you can hear when she got emotional <laughs> um, you can hear the dogs some <laughs> here had dogs but sometimes the neighbours <laughs> so it's, it's very kind of um, homemade and it has a great
2: quality because of that, I think. Do these tapes wow. still exist? Are, are there it, copies around?
4: It, yes, they do. Uh, we were It was a miracle, I thought, because uh, I was having this interview with Zomphir, the guy who was running the whole thing, and I asked if he kept anything, if he had anything left, even catalogs or something, and he said, no, he gave everything away, he didn't need it. I mean, ev- right. now you can have everything in your computer because he's very technological. Yeah. Um, And then he remembered that he gave all of the tapes to his best friend, his childhood friend, who just couldn't part with them, because for him, he also worked with Zanfir And and for him, they were so important and they were part of their history, so he just took them all. And Zanfyr called him and just asked, he didn't think he kept them, do you still have those tapes I gave you a while ago? And he said, of course, of course, I would never give any of them until I die. And and we we went to his place, and it's just a huge room <clears throat> filled with VCRs and speakers, and all of this equipment. And the walls are just wallpapered with VHS tapes. All the master master tapes that they made copies from are there. Wow! So it was an amazing day when we got into that place.
2: We we should do is try to make copies of them just to preserve them.
4: Yeah, well I was thinking of this. I was thinking it would be great to open like a little museum or so- or something like that because it's such a piece of history.
2: No. It's important. What I'm wondering is how did the government react when they found out that this was going on? Did they even know that this was happening that there's this kind of underground VHS trading that was going on?
4: Uh well I, this this is one of the questions that <laughs> kind of runs through the film and it, and <clears throat> it it's what brings uh, tension and conflict in the story. Um, the situation is very complex here and I think the phenomenon, that's why I like it, that's why I like the story so much because it, it speaks about the whole of Romanian society, about how communism worked, about the regime, but also speaks about film and cinema and the magic of cinema on the other side. And I think it, it will show um, to our viewers the, the hypocrisy of the communist regime and and the way things were working in those days, because um, the secret police and the party heads were involved in the phenomenon, and so they were watching the tapes as well, because <laughs> they also only had two hours of TV a day. <laughs> so, and Irina says a very nice thing, and uh, that you know everybody needs stories to survive, even you know the bad guys. So um, yeah. You'll see in the film how they got involved in the the operation and how things were working and how nothing was definitely black and white.
2: Yeah, that's incredibly interesting. So let's talk about the Indiegogo campaign you have going on right now for the film. Uh, You're looking to get uh, $25,000. And is that mostly for uh, post-production? Yeah, yeah,
4: definitely. Well, we we finished shooting uh, this winter, uh, so we started the post-production, we, we might have to do a few more like pick-up sh- shoots, but those will be smaller. Uh, so we started the post-production, uh, we need to start the animation because the whole story is happening in the past, and instead of going for reconstructions, we want to use animation, because it gives much more flexibility and creativity of where we can take these reconstructions. Um, so yeah, we have to start the animation and also the music composition, so the money that we're trying to gather on Indiegogo will all go into this um, and into having uh, a presentable first cut that we can show broadcasters um, and get them on board.
2: Great. So um, maybe you could tell us some of the the perks that you have up for this project?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. We have quite what, what I think are quite cool perks. <laughs> um, perks for everybody. So from the opportunity of becoming an animated character in the film um, we have, this is like a limited perk um, for 10, 10 people um, because as I said we're going to have animation to reconstruct different scenes and moments um, from the 80s uh, people can become one of their characters in these animations and you get a still from the scene you appear in and you get the password so you can watch the film once it's ready and um, you can become an executive producer, that's for a bit more money, uh, but we'd love to find new people who are interested in the project and who want to fight for it. Um, you can get an underground um, 80s Romanian cinema kit.
2: Yeah, this, which... is, this is what I like, <laughs> I like this one.
4: Yeah, this one you get a uh, customized VCR, um, you get the um, limited VHS edition of the film, and you get a whole goodie bag with with the kind of stuff that was around for screenings in Romania in the 80s. so from snacks to improvised drinks to um rewinder <laughs> to the to the blanket that people used to wrap the v c r and everything in to hide it once they when they took it from one flat to the other and so there's a lot of surprises in there and I wanted to mention one more. <laughs> Sorry, that's just for those people who like Irina's voice because it's really high pitched and memorable, um, you can get her to to dub a whole film of your choice, <laughs> yes. or you can get her to, to just translate one little line um, if you want it, you know, like a ringtone or just like a memento. So that's about it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I like that one because that one is uh, that one's at the twenty-five dollar level, right? So mm-hmm. that one's. <laughs> I might have to do that.
4: <laughs> yeah, and you got a piece of history, so come on. <laughs> uh, go for it.
2: So you only have uh, five days left as of this recording, so really need people to uh, that are listening to go ahead and donate to this project now. I have one other quick question about the the VHS and how how the whole trading system worked. Did they sell the tapes, or were they just like copied and duplicated <laughs> and traded?
4: Um, well, it was a mixture. Zanfir was a businessman, so he sold the tapes, um, and it was almost like a perfect capitalist operation that he started there. He would bring the tapes in, multiply them, then he had people coming from the whole country buying uh, buying tapes, and they would take them into the other areas of the country where they would be multi- multiplied again. But at at the people's level, a lot of them were c- copied from one person to another, and you know, just for the passion of films, mm-hmm. not for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were circulating everywhere, and a lot of the people ended up watching 10th generation copies, where you could barely see mm-hmm. anything. It was just lines, black and white. People were imagining the action mm-hmm. of the film, but even so, they were watching them because there was nothing else and because it was contact with the West and it had that little air of freedom for everybody. And they, were, they would watch them, you would never just watch one film. It would be sessions of five to seven films in a row, 20 people in a room, everybody smoking, <laughs> you know, that kind of heavy but also magical atmosphere where you, you just go into a different world, um, magical world, and I think for everybody it was the world of the West mm. and of freedom kind of thing.
2: One final question: What's what's the state of cinema in Romania like now? Has it changed?
4: Oh well, I think at at the moment um, there's well for a few years now uh, the new wave of cinema in Romania is uh, just exploding on the on the international <coughs> level. We've been w- winning awards. It, this is mostly for fiction, but there's also some amazing documentaries coming out. So. They've been winning awards at Berlin, Cannes, um, in the States as well. So I think the new wave is really strong. It's the people who are growing up mm-hmm. with the tapes, I think. So maybe that, that also played a part. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, a lot of the films are, are recovering the, this past of uh, you know, the communist regime and the things we've been through, but in, in different ways. So it, films coming out of Romania are very, very interesting at the moment.
2: Great. Well, Lincoln, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, again, the film is Chuck Norris versus Communism, and we'll be sure to have uh, links in the show notes and all that fun stuff. So thank you very much. Thank you.
4: Yeah, thank you very much for having me.
2: Next up, Gina and I had a chance to speak with director Terrence Nance on his film An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, which is playing in limited release right now. Let's take a listen.
1: I'm really interested in, in the SIN outreach, the SINREACH project. So this piece was supported by the SINREACH project, a Sundance Institute okay. grant, right?
0: Uh, yeah, we, SINREACH um, came along um, when we were in, basically, we had gotten into Sundance and we were doing a Kickstarter campaign. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Sundance is really good about helping out with Kickstarter campaigns and Get, you know, because everyone needs finishing funds once they get into the festival to actually get it ready. So, I'm oh, sorry, they came along at that point, um, you know, through Michelle Satter, who also works with, the, you know, is, is the uh, person in charge at the uh, Finance Institute, and you know, contributed some money to, you know, help finish the movie for the festival, and it was really like right in the nick of time, and you know, since then, just being in the Center family generally, um, has been really great for not just this film, but in general, for me as a filmmaker.
1: Hmm. Oh, I see. So this was more of a financial thing. It's not necessarily a engaged relationship, project-based relationship. They came in and not, gave money.
0: Yeah, not for this. Not for oversimplification. Um, we, I am working with them in the future, uh, or I guess currently on future projects mm-hmm. <laughs> in a more engaged way. That definitely has come out of that initial like engagement with Cinereach last year. Um, So, yeah, it was just kind of the start. Um, But, you know, this film has taken forever to come out. So, so whereas, like, on some level, you know, work on a lot of things in the future, this this kind of feels very present because it's just not coming out. But, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, something of the past on some level, you know. Mm.
1: Got it.
2: Um, Getting back to the film itself, were you worried at all about what people might think of you since the film is so personal and essentially it's like a dissection of your feelings and your failings on like an emotional and relationship level?
0: Um, I was not, I, it actually never occurred to me during the making of the film, um, that anyone would even, that would have access to my personal life. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me, (laughs) but definitely something that people respond to in the film. And I think that, you know, when watch maybe uh, for me, it's not that, but obviously for the audience, it feels like a dis- a large a large scale disclosure of personal information, um, but to be honest with you, you know i was I was just thinking about sort of the art side of it, you mm-hmm. know, just what it looked like what it sounded like, what kind of the emotions that it was conveying. I wasn't experiencing it as sort of me putting myself out there in a personal way, and I think that's because mean at the end of the day, it is an hour and a half movie, and even more so, it's an hour and a half movie about me at a certain point in my life, and, you know, I experience that as a very small percentage of my human experience, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I have a whole lot of other personal business I can mm-hmm. disclose. <laughs> you know, I still do have a private life, you know, and I, and I guess where it seems much more comprehensive of a disclosure, for me, is the opposite, you know, so maybe that's why I don't, I didn't really think about it, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, since these are real events that you're kind of... Presenting in your film, and I, I'm wondering if the, if it's important to you for them, for the audience, really to realize or recognize the film as some sort of personal truth or other kind of truth.
0: Um, you know, I think that um, for me, I don't have like kind of a hierarchy of experiences that I think that the audience should have or take away from it in general. But I did generally want the film to feel, you know, like it was, you know, un. Unfiltered, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and I, I, I do think that that's a rare perspective, like a completely unfiltered uh, perspective in filmmaking, and and I was attracted to the idea that maybe the um, people would experience it in a participatory way as opposed to a voyeuristic mm-hmm. way, especially initially making the, the short film because you know generally you experience films with looking into a world or culture or characters that you're not within, and I just felt like sort of the nakedness of the film would maybe break that down, but. Not in a way that I knew would happen, you know. I was, and I don't even know necessarily that it does happen all the time. But you know, I do. I do think I was interested in that when making.
2: Hmm. it. So coming from art into film, and this this film is kind of a, a mashup between the two. What drove that change for you from the art world into the film world?
0: Um, I, I guess for me, I. I I don't think of it as a change, you know, and I, when I was making this movie, it was, you know, my my lifestyle, my kind of professional preoccupations were very much within the context of the fine art world. I was in art school when I made it, you know, made the bulk of it, started making it. Um, and I didn't know, you know, kind of what space would respond to it, you know. And I think, you know, it being programmed in New, in, in new Frontiers, which is just as much a fine art space, curatorial space at Sundance, as it is a, you know, kind of, traditional filmmaking space kind of speaks to where it exists which is I think in both spaces mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, di- I didn't think of it as a transition at all I think it, I thought of it as just work that maybe straddles the line um, but is mo- best experience in a theater mm-hmm. you know and just in the same way that you know Christian Marclay's clock piece is best experience in a the theater you know I don't think people think of that as a film world thing they think of it as a final world thing but I think you know the venue of, of the experience you know, colors it a little bit, and I and I like that. So, I like that especially. You know, I'm making a film about these very almost mundane experiences of love, but that it's a spectacle, mm-hmm. and I think the 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 using the feature film format is sort of another way of pushing the melodrama and, and the 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 kind of humor of that melodrama um, that's inherent to the film. You know. Mm.
1: The film is also really driven by spoken word and it kind of bounces back from prose to to kind of more functional text and then back. And I'm wondering in the process of making the film, where did the text kind of come in? Was it the first thing that you had written? Was it kind of integrated at the at the end, like organically? How did it all work out?
0: That was the very first thing actually. Um I I had the experience that it depicted in the last scene of the film. And I just wrote it all in one sitting. And it was only revised when I actually sat with the narrator. And this, it wasn't really significantly revised. It was just some things I said I thought sounded better when he said them a slightly different way. Um, so it was, you know, all, the whole movie kind of comes out of that moment of writing probably 80% of the narration that's in the movie. And the rest of the narration is just life writing, like letters or, you know, thing, things that were just taken sure. from life, you know, they, they were, um, I guess, written in that way, <laughs> you know. In the-
2: uh, so you use a lot of different animation styles in the film. This is w- one thing that really drew me into it. Uh, how did you decide which style to use for, like, each specific scene? Did you just kind of wing it, or did you have a plan?
0: No, yeah, I was just winging it. Um, I think that, you know, I had each thing written, you know, in the script, and I kind of, I made pieces of concept art for each one that then dictated what way they needed to be animated. So, for instance, one of the pieces of concept art was just watercolor on white paper, so that meant that that's how that had to be animated. Um, one was like a um, kind of oil paint rotoscoped onto photocopies, so that is how that had to be created. So, it, it was just a kind of intuitive approach, but I did want each section because they're all coming from kind of sometimes different perspectives, sometimes different voices, you know, different periods in life. They're all very specific to certain things around this experience, but, you know, at the same time, they, they, they're cobbled together. So I wanted each piece of animation to be wildly divergent from each other one in, in a certain way. Um, so that was kind of my only guiding principle in choosing them, that they all needed to feel like they came, each came from a complete completely other planet and maybe even a different stylistic Mm. kind of framework, you know?
1: Another, another part of what works in this film and makes it more engaging is even though it is a beautiful poetic art film, you've also injected a lot of comedy into it. And I'm wondering if you added this intentionally to kind of lighten the mood of the film or was it really an organic part of your process that things would be funny?
0: Yeah, it it was pretty organic. Um, you know, it comes out of the initial feeling of wanting just to write that script, which was, I was extremely melodramatically sad, and I thought the fact that I was that sad about it was kind of hilarious. (laughs) Because, you know, like, outside looking in, you know, like, if you have, let's say you're you're in your late 20s, and your younger sibling gets into college, and they fall in love with somebody freshman year, and, you know, things are going on, and, you know, they get into a big fight, and you see, you know, your younger sister crying and stuff, and you kind of just know, I mean, it's going to be over. That's just that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you're, it's funny, you know, but it's not funny because they're crying and, you know, it's sexually and right then, but, you, you know, everybody goes through that little puppy sure. love thing and it was to be over. So it's kind of funny to hear them talk about it from your perspective of having been through it. And, you know, I think that that, that was all within that initial emotion that I had. I was kind of both people. I was both my older brother or my father and myself and knowing that I was sad but it was, it was hilarious you know and also I think that, I mean I think you know for me I'm riffing off the idea of the blues and I think the blues is all, it always kind of takes this really terrible stuff and makes it melodic and usually slightly humorous so I think that that element is also there
2: yeah absolutely I have one final question for you um did you get the bed sorted out
0: no man one of the producers in the film James Bartlett broke that bed oh. He uh, he actually, I mean, I built the bed. It worked terribly, but it worked. You know, you could land in and not die. And then at one point he was like, just joking around. He's like, man, this bed ain't shit. And he just like gave the bed to people's elbows and broke oh. the bed. And it was it was over for that bed.
2: Well, Terrence, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Thanks for having me.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks again,
2: Terrence. Be sure to check out An Oversimplification of Her Beauty if it's playing in your area. And also be sure to read our full review for the film, which is on the site right now. Kevin, you wrote that review. You're damn right I did. Nice. Very nice. Well, let's talk about some of we've women watching. Kevin, I think we'll start with you this week. Sure,
3: why not? Um, nice segue, because the first film I watched was An Oversimplification of Her Beauty <laughs> from none other than Terrence Nance so which you also saw as well mm-hmm. and what do, what do you think
2: i liked it it was uh very creative i liked uh a lot of the animation styles i particularly like the um i guess it was like a stop motion uh oh, with the with the marionette with the marionettes and the eyeballs and
3: yeah i enjoyed that one and the like the water ones yeah those those,
2: yeah. Look, those all looked really good uh it was kind of surprising to me that it was as funny as it was. I enjoyed a lot of the humor in it. Um, Yes. I
3: enjoyed that. You asked the question about the bed.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I just had to, (laughs) because I just thought that that, that aspect of it was so funny, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's certainly not a movie for anybody. I would say that it really caters to the art crowd. Yeah. Um, Actually, when I was preparing for the interview, my dad was in town, and I was watching the movie with my dad, and he was just not into it. He At one point, he looks at me, and he goes, now, do you think that I'm into this movie? Do you think that this is a movie for me?
3: Uh, best thing is, in my head, I just hear you, because that's definitely something your dad would do.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he he is he is a movie guy. He he likes a lot of stuff that most parents would not like or would not see. So he is pretty open minded when it comes to that. But he doesn't generally like art house movies. So he wasn't he wasn't having it. Well, it wasn't that he didn't like it. I want to make sure that that's. It's just that he wasn't really. Yeah, it. he wouldn't normally seek out this movie. No,
3: no. I mean, I like the idea behind it essentially taking that one small moment in your life and then just overanalyzing it which me and you were talking this is what we do all the time just these stupid little things that no one else really thinks about but you yourself will just overanalyze for hours and in my case sometimes days <laughs> <laughs> which it seems like it's the same thing Terrence Nance does um, I like the idea and I don't know what he's doing exactly but I was thinking about this, and because this is all stems from a short film he did called "How do you, How would you feel," which I think was like 2007
2: 2006. or 2006.
3: Yeah, and then this is sort of like an update to it, which I like that idea because you know more than likely his, he's evolved emotionally mm-hmm. and has had more relationships, and it, like I'm interested in that to see if he does this again. You know, like seven years down the road or six years down the road, he adds more to this film and calls it something else. And it's sort of like just an evolution thing of his emotions and everything. I'm wondering if he's going to do something like that.
2: I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, like just to come back and see how, yeah. how you've... Because also, like, if if I went through a breakup or, you know, some something like that <clears throat> and I was... I I'm immediately made a movie about it. I'd be mm-hmm. in a completely different frame of mind than if I came back to that experience, you know, years later and decided to make a movie about it. Yeah, exactly.
3: And then that idea intrigues me, and I'm hoping that he does that. But then again, I have a feeling that you know he's gonna—he's already generating some buzz and getting some critical acclaim, so he might be moving on.
2: Well, I know that he's. Bigger. Bigger things. Yeah, I mean, he did say that he's working on something something with the Sundance Institute, so... it has
3: got something brewing. Yeah. But I like it. I like it. It was very fresh, very original. There's something different, which I always will applaud. They tried different things. A lot of creativity in mm-hmm. but it. hmm But exactly like you said, it's not a film for everyone. But you can definitely applaud the attempt there. And I enjoyed it. My review's up, so... There you go. And then I watched, because of that, you know, I sort of seeked out Terrence Nance and see what else he's done. And I came across this uh, Adventures of Christopher Bosch in the Multiverse. It's a short film for the Bosch Film Festival, which was renamed the Bosch Film Festival. <laughs> Just like a ridiculous, it looks, it looks like a, essentially a cartoon that you would see on Adult Swim. Yeah. It looks pretty much exactly the same. And Terrence Nance does the voice of Christopher Bosch, the the power forward for the Miami Heat. And this is just, you know, it's a short film that clears up the connection between Chris Bosch and how weird he is, and the Miami Heat winning the national championship in 2012, and the facing in cannibal. So, it turns out Christopher Bosch, Star Prince gets his dad killed because he just keeps interrupting and saying, "I want to help, and everyone dies because of it, and then the wolf man there's a mystic wolf man, and he pops back up on earth, takes him back, and they fight the uh the evil witch there and saves the world from becoming the internet yep so oh, yep definitely definitely worth checking out
2: I would say I, like you said, um if you like a lot of the live-action animated Adult Swim stuff. This this one's one to check out. Yeah,
3: this is this is amazing. I loved it. Uh, and the voice of the, I think it's like the Star King, you know, Star Prince's dad, Christopher Bosch's dad, is uh, the filmmaker Barry Jenkins, the director of Medicine for Melancholy. Mm-hmm. Melancholy. So you got him, Terrence Nance is in it, Matthew Lillard's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy Seismitz is in it, but I'm not sure who she voices, but her name was in the credits and I have a feeling there was someone else. I uh, know, allegedly the, the the victim of the face-eating cannibal is the narrator, allegedly, but I don't know if that's exactly correct.
2: Very, okay. yeah, it's a, it's worth <laughs> watching. I mean, it's, it's the different. it's only 11 minutes. Yeah, we have it posted on the site, so. Give it's, that a watch. it's
3: just completely ridiculous and for whatever reason i just absolutely loved it and i just love how they cut in the real life moments of chris bosh yes playing basketball. yes, <laughs> and how it just pops up in post-game interviews oh, i loved it but then i watched a couple of david lynch short films one of them was trash the other one was pretty much trash but i enjoyed it for some reason And that's all I'm going to say about those. And then I watched The Impossible. For some reason. The Impossible. I have to say, for a film based within this terrible, tragic, horrific tsunami, I did not feel much emotion whatsoever. I felt a lot more emotion reading the articles about the tsunami. And this movie was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I I just I didn't appreciate that he didn't leave it up to me to feel the emotions that I should feel. He sort of like forced it on you. Just like kept cramming it down your throat. Yeah. With with the score and just like the close-ups, the extreme close-up of the faces. Oh my god, it was just it was ridiculous. I d- I didn't enjoy it at all. Really, <clears throat> I don't think there was really anything. Well, okay, the. The effects work yeah, it was... that went into when the tsunami hit. Yeah. that looked yeah, that looked gorgeous. But I don't. I couldn't believe that. I know that it's centered around a British family, and it tells their story. Wasn't it a Spanish like,
2: family? Well,
3: I mean, it's Spanish family in real life, but oh, in I, movie. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying talking about real life. I know that it's it's centered around that, but I thought that they would at least show some of like the locals and how they were affected. But they show none of that. Which is where I think a lot of the real emotional moments could've come could have come from. But none of that. Just, those people are just completely disregard.
2: Well, they show 'em in the him, in the hospital and stuff when the kid's doing his little helper journey.
3: Yeah. The helper journey. Just I I just couldn't stand it. For whatever reason, it just really grated me. Well, it's, be, me the it's wrong because
2: way. it's it's terrible. I mean, I didn't I didn't think the movie was really that bad i um did think that the effects work and the makeup work was really well done that leg wound (laughs) oh
3: yeah (laughs) but i mean even this is a film that is just tailor-made for amazing performances and I, i didn't see any i didn't think anyone was really that much of a standout
2: no no i i mean i think that the kids did okay but you and McGregor and Naomi Watts were just average. Yeah,
3: completely average to me, especially you and McGregor. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think I did, he was he, he was almost pointless. Yeah, you
2: and McGregor was not not very good in this. Naomi Watts was better, but I just I, I would have to agree with everything you're saying. I found it. I actually rewatched this at least in part because, oh. like I said, my dad was here and um, he wanted to to watch it, so. He was watching it, and I was kind of... <laughs> when, when you were watching it, did you look
3: over to him and be like, now, do you think that I would be into this movie?
2: <laughs> I think he, he, yeah, he knew. Well, when I saw it originally, he was like, what? Why did you see that? But... Gotcha.
3: And I mean, the moral of the story is insurance companies save the day. Yep. I just, that, the ending just just seemed completely unnecessary. And it was just the ham fisted. It's all hell. You have they get in the plane, and the damn kid's like, "Oh, I have to tell mom something." And then he You and McGregor walks back and gives him the old head nod, and then he comes up and he tells him the story of Daniel. And they have their moment, and then they sit down and they do you know quick cuts of snapping in the seatbelt, snapping in the seatbelt, snapping in the seatbelt. It's like, yeah, I know, I know. They had to put their seatbelts on. What the fuck are you doing? And they're in this giant fucking jet. And they're the only people in there. It's like four people. There's like 80 empty seats. <laughs> like, you couldn't take anyone else with your, on your flight with you? No one? I just did. I really wish they would have kept that out, because it really, I mean, it took a below-average film and just made a complete shit.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I did not enjoy it. I thought it was a little... Uh, just the how many random coincidences there were, like... Oh my god, yeah, the, the whole the re- ending. The red ball and... The- oh my god. All that stuff. Give me, give me a fucking break.
3: Uh, then the last film myself was Sun Don't Shine, which my review is up for that as well. The new uh, Amy Seismitz movie. Directed, written and directed. She does not star in it. Just writer-director. I think this is actually her debut. Yes, after a series of shorts that she's done. This so feature length debut and I have to say I enjoyed it enjoyed it I was pretty surprised it's a very bare-bones story um, production wise too it's just pretty much all handheld and the extreme close-ups and but it was compelling Hmm. in an odd way
2: this is uh, available on demand right now
3: yes I actually watched it on Amazon uh, to rent it, it's only four dollars.
2: Okay, there you, three, there you go. 3
3: Three ninety nine. That's have a good to, deal.
2: Uh, give that a watch today.
3: Yeah, it's a good deal. Good deal, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Which, it, as soon as it started, and you know, you see the indie aesthetics, you know, your standard, typical indie stylings, and I was like, oh, geez. Like, I don't know about this, <laughs> but it's just it slowly unravels itself and just. You know adds a little bit to the story, adds a little bit to the story, and like I said, very bare bones, there's no tricks, it's not over sensationalized or anything, just bare bones but enjoyable. Sort of about uh Crystal and her boyfriend Leo going on a road trip through Florida. And I did the one thing that I was surprised about is reading about this film, I thought Florida played more of a role, like it was almost a character in itself, mm-hmm. but. That is not not the case. Mm. Like you, bar- you barely see Florida at all. Because the camera work is all essentially close-ups of the characters. But definitely recommend. enjoyed it thoroughly.
2: Yeah, I'll probably be checking that out. All right. That do it for you? That's it. That's
3: it. It's all okay. got.
2: All right. um it's still Father's Day. Trauma. Trauma. Uh,
3: still watching those trauma movies.
2: Well... This was this was for my Grindhouse Weekly feature, and I decided that I wanted to do a contemporary Grindhouse movie because um, because gotcha. I haven't done any of those or talked about any of those on the feature, so I decided to watch Father's Day because I haven't seen it yet, and uh, it, it was pretty good. I was I was pretty impressed. It's very funny, and Trauma didn't produce it; they just um, distributed it. So yeah. it's. Definitely the highest quality trauma release I've ever seen. (laughs) Because they they didn't have anything to do with the production. Right. That's actually, (laughs) that's the truth. I know. This is actually directed by a, uh, like a filmmaking collective called Astron 6. It's like your uh, typical kind of throwback movie where they make it look old. And they do a pretty good job of that there's there's several little touches that they do that really kind of push it like i i just loved there's um a, a at the beginning of the film they make it look like it's you're watching a local tv station and they have like the sunday the sunday afternoon lineup of movies and they give like the schedule and stuff and then uh once once in the movie there is a commercial break which sounds like you know you've you've heard that before but the way that they do it is really interesting and fun and looks really good uh hmm. so overall i would say if you're into this this kind of stuff check it out it is extremely extremely gory though i will tell you that like that was one thing that that brought it down for me and and since i posted the article people were like well you shouldn't let that you know affect your how you feel about it but it really does because there's it's a comedy sort of but they mix in this like grisly violence i mean like horrific there's a scene where they show a guy for some reason just randomly uh cutting his penis with a knife and then rubbing the blood on a girl's face uh a lot of man rape happening in this movie all right and that's just you know like cannibalism uh just terrible things and those things in and of themselves you know if i'm watching a horror movie that's that's fine like i can deal with it but when it's mixed in with this kind of like spoof uh over the top kind of ridiculous comedy like goofball stuff it feels weird Mm -hmm. it just feels out of place yeah but i did Overall, I did enjoy the movie. I had fun with it. It's very funny. Like Adam Brooks, who also wrote the movie and um, directed it, he is great as the main character of Ahab in this. <laughs> and the 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 villain, the serial killer that they're trying to get, his name's Chris Fuckman. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Fuckman.
3: <laughs> so these, so these are the same guys that did Manborg
2: it does have that kind of manborg feel to it. This is better than Manborg though. With Manborg they were kind of trying to spoof a different type of movie. They were going for like the 90s sci-fi. Yeah. And uh I just enjoyed this one better. I saw May I Kill You, which is this terrible uh U- UK <laughs> film. May I Kill
3: You. And it's Oh great! So it's you, just the letter, right? U. Yeah, not Y O U. It's
2: about this bike cop who. Sus- oh my god! He sus- it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. he sustains a a brain injury and turns into this vigilante where he kills. Um, he he videotapes and kills criminals and then posts it online. Okay. It's it's terrible. There's nothing like I don't even want to waste anyone's time just talking about it it's so stupid it's it's <laughs> completely played out like you've seen this all before the characters are r- ridiculous
3: one-dimensional
2: even if, if they're even there. If, yeah even it, to say they're one dimension is implies that they have some sort of dimension to begin with <laughs> they're just uh, they're nothing it's a nothing of a movie and don't don't waste your time
3: it, it does have a tagline of one man on a mission, on a bicycle.
2: Yeah, like, they bill it as this kind of, like... Huh, okay. It's supposed to be, like, a dark comedy, but it's just... It fails. It fails so bad. It's terrible. Yeah.
3: It sounds awful. Uh,
2: then I saw Mud, Jeff Nichols, with... Uh, the This is the one with Matthew McConaughey, Reese Witherspoon, Michael Shannon. Uh, oh, you're dick. Loved it. Loved dick. it. Uh, this is probably one of my top movies of the year so far. Uh everything about it was incredible, including the the two kids that were really the main characters. Uh,
3: I was gonna say the one is from Tree of Life and I was wondering how he did in this, Ty Sherry. No, he was
2: good. Uh played uh, Ellis. Yeah, he was good. Um there's one there's one scene in particular that he he gives a really emotional performance and it was really, really good.
3: There's also a kid named Neckbone.
2: Yeah, Neckbone is the other kid. He was really good too. So the other, ne- the character of Neckbone is kind of a supporting character, but I mean he's still in it more than Matthew McConaughey is. Gotcha. It's really about these two kids. It's a coming of age story about these two kids. We do have a review up on the site. <clears throat> I believe Ernie wrote it. I think he gave it like an eight and a half. Um, I would probably sit around there, maybe even a nine. Ooh. I mean, How's
3: Matthew McConaughey uh, in his resurgence? I'm really yeah.
2: hoping that this is this is his year. I think that he deserves an Oscar. And he's really good in this. I mean, he's not in it as much as you would think. But uh-huh. but he's in it enough to probably garner a nod. There you go. So, I mean, he's great. But he's he's exactly the way he has been in, you know, Bernie and... He's really good. Like he's like his teeth are all fucked up in this, and like he's kind of dirty, but he's does an a, amazing performance. Really emotional. Now, does the director Jeff Nichols continue this
3: uh, run of making Matthew McConaughey do terrible, awful things?
2: Mm, no, oh. no. I mean, he's like dirty. He does some gross stuff. Like he eats beans and franks out of a can with his hands and his hands are all dirty and stuff but <laughs> uh, nickels you blew it that's pretty much it i mean this is a pg-13 movie so it's not it's not really heavy i mean yeah let me rephrase that it's not really uh the the subject matter is not very adult it's but it, it is emotionally a heavy movie gotcha
3: yeah i can't wait to see this but no, unfortunately not playing around here
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's one of these movies that's right up my alley. I mean, I pretty much all the elements I love. I like coming-of-age stories. I like movies that take place in rural settings. Uh, So it was pretty much a home run for me. Uh, That's pretty much it. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about some uh, predictions. I won all of them, correct? I think you won two, two of the three. Hmm. All right, we got Pain and Gain. You said 64. I said 62. Actual 47. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, not too... I, was... I
3: thought it would be a little bit better. Now. Yeah, I was
2: thinking about checking it out today. I'm not sure yet. Uh, big Wedding. You said 12. I said 40. Actual 6. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank God. That just...
3: Why the hell... Who the hell would fund that?
2: Then we have mud, you said 88, I said 86. Actual on mud, 98%. Wow. Yeah, so. A lot of Jeff Nichols mud. Mud. (laughs) Uh, Yes, a lot of Jeff Nichols love. (laughs) A lot of Jeff Nichols mud. (laughs) Uh, I love it. All right, next. Uh, Yeah, I
3: think he's a little bit overrated. But we'll see after I get to see Mud. You really like you really like Take Shelter movie. though. I did thoroughly enjoy Take Shelter. Shotgun Stories, meh. Yeah. Well, that's just one. But, but now I want to see, I want to see a Nichols movie without Michael Shannon in the lead, because I'm wondering yeah. if both of those movies was just Michael Shannon. You know, what no, I, mean? I mean, like that was the only reason I really was able to get gain anything from Shotgun Stories. If that wasn't Michael Shannon in that film. That movie would have been terrible. And then in Take Shelter, he was just absolutely amazing.
2: He is, uh, he is in mud, but he's not in it a lot. Which we we forgot to say that we saw him do the sorority. Oh yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't checked <laughs> that out on Funnier or Die.
3: Oh my God, please, please do Michael Shannon reading that absurd <laughs> sorority letter. Oh my God, it's amazing. I wish he could get nominated for an Oscar for that.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of Michael Shannon, let's go ahead and jump into our predictions for next week. We have The Iceman, starring Michael Shannon. What are you thinking oh, on... I can't
3: wait to see this. They're really excited about this.
2: I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping.
3: Well, I mean, it's a perfect story. I remember watching... I can't remember what it was on. I don't know if it was like Discovery or... It wouldn't have been Discovery. Maybe like A&E or something. They were doing... They had sort of like this documentary about the ice man, and I mean, it's just completely enthralling story. So as long as they don't fuck it up, it's going to be amazing. So I'm going to go like eighty four.
2: Eighty four. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say eighty two on that one.
3: Now I have a question: Is Ray Liotta in this film?
2: I think he is.
3: Does Ray Liotta play some sort of gangster or corrupt cop?
2: I'm pretty sure he is
3: in it. Yes, he is. And you know that he's gonna play one of those two roles.
2: Yeah, of course. Uh <laughs> next then we also have the big one, the big daddy, Iron Man oh, Iron Man three.
3: Ooh. I'm actually pretty excited for this. I've, I have no idea why.
2: I've been hearing great things about this. I've been hearing good things as well. People are saying that this is like the best one, they're saying they're saying all this stuff. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna shoot high. And I'm gonna say like, I'm gonna say 90, oh. 92.
4: ninety
2: two. I'm gonna say ninety
3: two. Ninety two. I'm I'm gonna go with like an eighty eight.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that it's that good. Also, limited release. I will mention we have Post Tenebris Lux. We have a review for that up on the site. So if you're interested, check that one out. If it comes anywhere near you. Yeah. It... <laughs> Which I'm gonna guess. If you don't live in LA or New York, you are not seeing it. Probably not. DVD and Blu-ray releases next week. This is for uh, April thirtieth. We have Broken City. This is the Mark Wahlberg and Russell Crowe picture. That uh... oh,
3: an action movie you've seen a hundred and fifty thousand times before. Yeah,
2: critics really hated this. I didn't even bother going to see it. Then we have The Details, which I don't even—I never the... even heard of. The...
3: <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yes, I I saw a trailer for this movie. The trailer looked horrible, so I can only imagine what the film was like. What well, does Star Ray Liotta as more than likely a corrupt cop <laughs> or some sort of gangster? Uh, One or the other. I think I'm I'm telling you, he has a contract with cinema. Uh,
2: we have the guilt trip. I heard pretty bad things about that we have not fade away which uh i did get a chance to see and i actually liked it. I I like that one. So i would recommend renting that. Don't I wouldn't say buy it, but
3: don't buy it. Rent it though.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And then Silver Lining's playbook. That's probably the biggest one.
3: Oh, that's a terrible week right there. Cuz so i would definitely not recommend Silver Lining's playbook even though they, i guess it's like a light recommend.
2: I'd recommend it.
3: Yeah, I, most I people think, are gonna like yeah, I it. I
2: think most people will will definitely like that movie. It's terrible. I've really come to hate that movie a lot. Uh, hate, I still I that. still pretty much yeah. feel the same.
3: You forgot about Little Red Wagon?
2: Yeah, Little Red Wagon. I don't even
3: From the director of Rudy and Hoosers.
2: Okay. Well, there's that too. It's an extraordinary true story. Better
3: kid with the little red wagon.
2: Alright. Well, I think that that does it. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback, send us an email, feedback from Follow us on Twitter at filmpulsenet, and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie.